Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, thank you so much for joining me again for this week episode of the Africa Climate Conversations. Today we are returning to Kenya's southern Aberdeen or the Nyandara Mountains. This time about an hour and a half drive from Kenya's capital city Nairobi to Njambini in Nyandarwa County. Jambini is located at the Kinango Plateau, the middle catchment between the Abadea range of mountains and the Lake Naivasha. From Jambini for hikers, you can access Elephant Hill and the Kinango Mountain. The Kinango Plateau is a very important grassland ecosystem. As you can imagine, plenty of springs and rivers emanating from the Abadeas, joining other rivers downstream and finally emptying into Lake Naivasha flow through this ecosystem. The plateau is also a breeding ground for the Sharps long crow birds, endemic to Kenya, now listed as endangered in the International Union for Conservation of Nature, IUCN Red List of Threatened Species. So, in this episode, I'm joined by two ecologists. Together, we will explore what grasslands are and why they are so important to human survival, especially given climate and water shortages. Also, how land use change at the Kinango Plateau has impacted the ecosystem and its biodiversity and threatens birds and future food and water security. But before then, if you haven't had the chance to listen to the previous episode on the Kareta Forest, please search for the Africa Climate Conversations podcast, which you will find on Google, Apple, Spotify, and every other podcast channel, as well as on our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com. In the meantime, Karibu Sana, I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwe, and this is your favorite podcast, the Africa Climate Conversations. Now, before we get to Njambini, let's get some definitions, shall we? Globally, grasslands cover close to one-third of the Earth's terrestrial surfaces. In Africa, grasslands or savannas cover almost half of the continent. I asked Paul Gashero, an ecologist and the Species and Sites Program Manager at Nature Kenya, to define grasslands and give us some examples of where they are found in Kenya. An ecosystem that is defined as a grassland is an area which is dominated mainly main characteristics of plant species are mainly within the grass family. This varies, you know, there are many grass species. And within our country, we think of a place like uh, Masai Mara, for example. There are few trees, but the main dominant plant species are grass species. So you find the savanna ecosystem has intertwined trees and grass, but the main species of vegetation is grass. So in Kenya, we have different grassland types. We have those ones which are mainly in the dry areas or the plains, the, which we call the savanna. Then you also have highland grasslands, which now you'd find around mountain areas like Mount Kenya, Abadeas, and Mau forests. So like much recent uh, fires that we had within Abadeas were within the grasslands in the moorland of the Abadea forest. And those species of grass are within grasses that we call them C3 grasses, which evolve in places with a very low density of carbon. And as you come in lower altitudes, now in areas like the savanna ecosystems that we have, 
within places like Masai Mara, but in between the other grasslands, like in places like Kinangop, for example, which are lower altitude, but of significance because of the contribution that they have within the ecosystem. Because you find that they are tussock type of grasses because they are highlands and therefore they provide some key benefits on stabilizing the ecosystem within that region. And then as you go further down at the altitude, as you pass the southern ecosystem, then you go now to coastal regions where you find a different characteristics of grasses. We don't call them grasslands per se, but that ecosystem is intertwined a lot with different other types of grass species. We have places like wetlands, places where we have reeds, because reeds are species of grass, so we have wetlands also provide another characteristic of grasslands, which we call like bogs and peatlands. Often when we think about conservation, forest and trees easily come to mind. For grasslands, Mostly they are seen as vast, idle land. But as Gashero explains, this grassland support diverse species both on and below ground. If we even just start by looking at the southern ecosystem, you find they are very productive habitats because you'll see like, for example, places like Amboseli or, or Masai Mara, there are quite large densities of wildlife within those landscapes and therefore indicating how productive these habitats are with respect to supporting variety of many species of birds, mammals, which are the grasslands. Basically what that shows is that grasslands have key benefit and contribution to supporting life within the ecosystem. And therefore you find in every level and the different grasslands that I've described in, in my area statements, you find their uniqueness support unique species which inhabit them. From the grasslands of the savannah, which you find all sorts of different species like the wildebeest, the lions and whatever. Come to the highlands like the Kinango Plateau, for example, you find the endemic species of birds like the sharp longclaw. If you go to the wetlands where we have different reeds and uh, different species of grasses which are evolving with water, you find their unique species that inhabit there, like things like the Paperas gonolek or the Sitatunga, which inhabit these ecosystems. So there's what you see what we call above ground. Those are the animals, parts of the grasses that are above ground, but there's what is below ground. And the below ground biomass is much larger than what is above ground, especially in the savanna ecosystems. So you find the grasses have much more deeper roots. They are microorganisms and invertebrates termites, ants, that diversity of those invertebrates which live in the soil is far much greater than what is above the ground. Because if you see, like, let's say in Kenya, we have 1,100 species of birds, as an example. That's what is actually visible, what we see. But if you look at the number of insects we have, they are in their tens of thousands. So, and a lot of this biomass is below ground or inhabits things in the soil. So, the microbial and the invertebrates are of much wider variety and diverse and therefore the ecosystem below ground is far much more diverse and much more richer than what we see above ground and grasslands what you see above ground is just like a small proportion of the richness of grasslands among the agikuyu people of kenya jambini or jafine as locally pronounced means a marshy place to the maasai people kinangop describes an area with springs 
Samuel Bakari, an ecologist with the Friends of Kinango Plateau, told me that the Kinango Plateau was originally a grassland where expansive treeless tasaki grasses grew. But just around Kenya's independence in the early 60s, white settlers largely investing in livestock farming settled in the Kinango Plateau area. The area had bogs and was marshy, hence not suitable for agriculture and cows, but for sheep and cows farming. Bogs are wet, muddy grounds, normally too soft to support a heavy body. But today, cabbages, potatoes, eucalyptus, pine trees, and cypress dot nearly every corner of the Kinango Plateau. Bakari recalls growing up in Henny Village as a 10-year-old and the changes the grasslands has seen years later. When I was, you know, 10, 13 years, I remember even now a small stream learning behind my parents uh, house and this would learn for two three months after the rains this is because then there was still a lot of grasslands existing so after the rains the water is being held by the land and the grasslands and slowly released but most of these grasslands are converted are not there so the stream no longer exists and this flashes off in one or maybe even less two hours however heavy the rains are so you can compare two months of slowly water learning behind my parents house and now zero i am not too old i'm only 42 years so i'm talking about perhaps maybe 25 30 years is a big difference only in a small time history. Last week, Kenyan local media reported that over 80% of streams and tributaries flowing into Lake Naivasha have dried up due to the long dry spell. Kenya, like other Horn of African countries, has been experiencing the longest drought. Despite the rains beginning in most part of the country, the IGAD climate prediction and application sector, IGBERG, predicts a below normal rainfall in most part of the Greater Horn of Africa during the March to May 2023 season, coupled with high temperatures. In Kenya, the March to May season marks the long rainy season relied upon for agriculture. If this happens, Ikpak warns that it would be an unprecedented sixth poor season for the worst hit countries, Kenya, Ethiopia, and Somalia. Now, this is where the grasslands offer a vital service to humans. When it rains, the highland grasslands like the Kinango Plateau, with their deep roots explained by Gashero, they help absorb retain and slowly release water over time via springs such as those found in Bakari's father's farm then. That way we have water to farm and the rivers flow to lakes such as Lake Naivasha, sustaining fisheries and food security. Looking back just a bit when you were when you were in schools, you'd be told we need to cover our grounds by planting something, right? So grass first reduces erosion, right? And therefore with now natural grasslands now because of their uniqueness with deep roots they help in increasing water percolation into the soil like now the rains are just starting so you find within those highland grasslands and because of the characteristics of the grasses which are much more deep rooted you find much more water gets percolated which then helps in recharging aquifers and rivers within the ecosystem right grasslands provide that benefit or that contribution to the ecosystem for improving water percolation or water recharge into the soil while maintaining and stabilizing the soils within the regions that we, we are. So mitigating soil erosion as well as, you know, that stabilizing therefore helps in even controlling other things like landslides, among other things within the regions that they exist. Grasslands are very important in absorbing carbon. 
people tend to assume the importance of grasslands because they just think that it's just grass eh? as in a plant because of photosynthesis capacity and given that they're much more diverse compared to rainforests they have much higher capacity of carbon sequestration so it's not only trees that are able to sequester carbon but also grasses do sequester carbon so in this case maintaining grasslands has a huge contribution towards uh, regulating climate fluxes but then instead of protecting them what we've gone ahead and done is destroyed them instead of protecting them and when we need their services the most these ecosystems cannot hold The thing about grasses is that within them they have this evolved traits that allows them to cope with climatic extremes specific soil conditions and even fires. In January, you will recall that the World Meteorological Department warned that 2015 to 2022 are the eight warmest years. With high temperatures also goes high levels of, you know, evaporation, right? So land covered in grasses help reduce rates of moisture evaporation as these temperatures rise. But now, unfortunately, the Kinango Plateau, once inhabited by tasoki grasses, bogs and marshlands, might not be able to offer this service today. Because around the 70s, towards the 80s, more local people moved into the Kinangop area and largely into the Nyandarwa areas. They continued with livestock keeping practiced by earlier white settlers. But unfortunately, in the early 90s, the livestock keeping collapsed. Now cultivation set in, brought in massive eucalyptus, pine trees, and the cypress trees the farmers cultivated to reduce the marshy landscape so that they can make this land suitable for farming over these years. Today, Kinangop is the main source of cabbages, potatoes, carrots, and even milk consumed in Nairobi and surrounding towns such as Naivasha and Gyokyo. Now, what led to the collapse of livestock keeping Bakari? Around 1990s, then government parastatals were quite strong. And due to lack of political goodwill and largely corruption, all of the parastatals went down because of mismanagement. And what was happening before then is if I am a farmer, I'm grazing my dairy cows, I'm able to milk and deliver milk to KCC, get my money. If I'm a sheep farmer, I am able to shear my sheep, uh, deliver my wool to AFC, get money. And our elder brothers who were schooling then, it was easy for them because then our parents had money because the government system was working. But between early 90s towards the end of 90s, then all the parastatos collapsed. That marked the big change. So farmers slowly started uh, shifting from the traditional livestock farming to pro- crop farming. What happened is most of the land holding is, is big. There are different zones. Some zones are 100 acre per person holding. Others are 20. And the, the areas that had good soil are maybe five acres. And it was great based on one, the quality of land. If the area is mushy, it was looked at as not good quality and therefore the areas that were more waterlogged you know people were getting 100 acres that was a big opportunity in terms of retaining the water marshes but also in terms of you know traditional livestock uh, farming and earning food but people slowly started shifting now to crop production and it's around the same time also that the government also allowed you know free trading in terms of uh, marketing of vegetables cabbages potatoes and things that marked the shift now from the change of traditional livestock farming to crop farming at the same time 
another thing that was you know predominantly affects the the grasslands is what you have mentioned the trees most of the area as i have mentioned is waterlogged and traditionally you would see that white settlers had planted uh, eucalypts in very specific areas that one they are looking at weed breaking and of course i would imagine even then it was known that you know eucalyptus is water thirsty so there was a little bit of choice and uh, species site matching so before then eucalyptus would only be planted in some specific areas that people had consideration that yes i cannot do the eucalyptus here because this is close to a water source but then people were looking at a land that is marshed that is waterlogged they want to sort of remove that water so the eucalyptus that you see is largely driven by that that people want to plant eucalyptus because it will take up water and sort of reclaim land and i'm using reclaim in in, in course because actually it's not uh, reclaim and then there was another challenge wood fuel wood and timber so again because it was all grasslands there was a problem and now people did uh, cypress and other fast growing trees for servicing and then this has become sort of now increasingly becoming very common and this affects the grassland now the irony is that the farmers concentrated on planting eucalyptus trees to reduce the water on their land to make it suitable for farming today this land use change from livestock keeping to extensive agriculture Bakari says has seen springs and rivers drying up, leaving the same farmers at the mercy of erratic rain-fed agriculture. A talk of water. At the moment, uh, you know, we are experiencing a, you know, a very prolonged uh, dry period. It is for the first time that we have seen water being a big a big problem in Nyandaro. Even though we are sitting next to the Abadeas, we have a number of rivers flowing downstream, but are these rivers as strong as they used to be? They are not. are the springs that we used to have in the mountains down in the farms a large percent is already gone because most of the people have planted uh, eucalyptus close to these uh, springs most of the people have you know we have turned the land there are no systems natural systems that are supporting the water cycle as they used to be we have really interfered uh, with the with the ecosystem and the big challenge when you talk about the grasslands is the value of grasslands is usually overlooked and like you said if you look at a land that is grassland most of the people look at it and think this is an idle land but what is the value that is playing in terms of ecosystem it was close to pristine because one you would find a lot of insects in these uh, ecosystems you would find a lot of reptiles in these ecosystems the insects are feeding the birds the reptiles are also feeding on the insects and these are very well balanced nature but what has happened with all the increment in terms of uh, crop cultivation you will find that every household is using one agrochemicals what are these agrochemicals doing to the ecosystem most of the farmers will use pesticides but they are looking at you know pests that they don't like they they are looking for anim- for, for for insects they don't like but look will a pesticide say that look i will not kill the bees So we are losing a lot of very important uh, aspect of the ecosystem for instance the bees and from application of agrochemicals and this comes with a major danger in terms of food security because bees are very important in pollination but is this discussion happening is the government looking at 
what can we do in terms of you know restoring the bees ecosystems yes look and these are the things so therefore we 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 are at a point that we have to really sit back look at what are the that that we have lost how do we reclaim it what is that value of the ecosystem because largely that is what the economies now are largely driven by you know economic uh, value looking at if i have a cow i will sell it at this much but nobody is going to value the unquantifiable it's only until recently that people started to think all right so oxygen is can be useful you know you remember the time of covid and it's only then that people started to look a little bit back and think all right there are things that we don't think we overlook but they are very important Badlife International recognizes the Kinango Plateau as a very important bird area. It's home to the Sharps longcrow birds listed as endangered in the IUCN red list of threatened species. The Sharps are only endemic to Kenya. The Kinango is not only home to the Sharps, but it's also home to the endangered gray-crowned crane birds and other migrant grassland species birds that breed and nest on these grasses. Now, in the 70s, the plateau grasslands identified as suitable for the Sharps longcrow birds breeding was originally 70,000 hectares. Yes, 70,000 hectares. Now in 2000, Karuki Danganga, a scientist and nature Kenya regional director for Africa, in his research predicted that in 10 years, land suitable for these birds breeding in the Kinango Plateau will have reduced to less than 10%. And true to Karuki's word, today Bakari says less than 10% of the entire Kinango Plateau grassland remains today. Now out of this entire 10% of the plateau remaining, less than 10% of it is the area that can be described as good habitat for the sharps longcrow birds. The remaining grasslands are in small patches, they are surrounded by exotic trees and they are overgrazed rendering them unsuitable for these birds. But now I ask Bakari, why are these birds so important? Why should we care by the way? Nature is a very very delicate balance that from the creation time has existed for a long time if you look at the interrelationship of organisms soils what is there in the soil there are even microbiomes that we don't see but what is their role they are very important look at the insects what is their role in the ecosystem a number of insects most of them actually you would find that we humans would categorize them as enemies but it's not all insects that are enemy look at the birds Look at the leptites. They are supported by all these insects. For instance, if you look at an insectivore, an insectivore is a bird that will eat insects. Such a bird will sleep after maybe eating 100 insects in a day. I'm talking about a bird, one. And we have so many number of species and so many number of individuals. If you would remove these birds in the ecosystem, it means that within a few days the insects will boom. You would imagine the the life cycle of insects they reproduce in days take for instance even a fly within a month you have grad parents of you know so this production must be balanced in nature and they are balanced by nature we are not able to visualize but a, a number of scientists have really tried to tease this apart we reference uh, to Kariuki he did a little bit of uh, research also around here and what he wanted to demonstrate was what is the ecosystem value or service provided by birds he took two open fields just uh, cultivated and in one field he sort of 
enclosed that birds cannot get in and in another. And they were small fields, two meters by two meters. Two weeks compared. After the two weeks, the field that was open, there were no weeds growing. In the, in the field that was closed, there was a lot of weed growing. As a farmer, as an individual, you don't realize that birds are eating things that are inexpensive to maintain. At the same, he also did, uh, you know, the same on vegetables. So he he sort of isolated some vegetables and others did not isolate. And the ones that he isolated, you could not eat these because there was so many insects, aphids, everything on these vegetables as compared to the one that birds could access. So there is a lot of um, ecological services that are being offered to us as humans by these, uh, you know, individuals, by these organisms in the ecosystem. But we are too busy to understand, we are too busy to realize that yes, something is happening behind the scenes. If you look at the insects and if you remove all the insect uh, feeders, you would imagine how much it would cost to control the insects. These are things that are producing in days. So in, in a near, you would imagine you are not able to walk. It's a plague of insects. And all these things happens because the nature is so well balanced. There is someone who eats insects and there is someone who is the one who is insect. And of course, most of these organisms, most of which we can see them by naked eyes, are also sort of controlled. And without them being controlled, then it also means that we have a big problem in terms of health that affects humans. Yeah, of course, now people are starting to understand a little bit more that our health ecosystems comes also with healthy human beings. Now, the just released synthesis report of the IPCC's sixth assessment report is clear. Human activities have caused global warming. An equal historical and ongoing contribution arising from unsustainable energy use, land use, and land use change, such as this shift we are talking about, you know, from livestock keeping to agriculture within the Kinagok Plateau. Now, also coupled with lifestyle and patterns of consumption and production across regions, has led to temperatures reaching 1.1 degrees Celsius in 2011 to 2020 above pre industrial levels. But now, population and food demand is rising at such a high rate, especially in Africa. This is a continent the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs Population Division projects will be home to half of the world's 9.7 billion people by 2050. 2050 is basically just around the corner. We're in 20, what, 2022 or 2023, right? Yeah, it's basically less than 30 years to go. Am I right? Mathematics was not my thing anyway. But what do we do? We, as humans, have destroyed the ecosystem that aided our survival. Can we do anything to get this or some of these grassland services back? I pose this question to Makari. So the grasslands, as we speak, not only in Kinango, but in Kenya, you will realize that grassland is one of the ecosystems that is really uh, forgotten. Because when you talk about conservation, when you talk about uh, climate change, what comes quickly in the mind of people are forests. But if you look at um, the creation, you would realize that, yes, there was original areas that were wetlands. There were original areas that were grasslands. There were areas that were forests of some kind, tropical other areas, are woodlands, areas in dry ecosystems that the trees' compositions are different. But in the discussion that we are having now on climate change, everybody now may be speaking about climate change, but very few people would be looking at, look, what are we restoring to? Because restoration is one of the things that we have to think about in terms of climate change. But what are we restoring to? 
because most of the people are quickly thinking yes we need to plant trees because this is one of the areas but grasslands would require actual elimination of trees to convert them into grasslands but when you talk of removing trees then already this becomes sort of a conflict because people will look at you and think no we want to plant more trees but of course when we are talking about legislation we have to go a step back and look at what is that ecosystem we are looking at now the bottom line is we as humans are just stewards when it comes to the earth our forefathers passed on this environment to us to use sustainably sustainably is the key here holding it in trust for the future generations but are we using it sustainably are we thinking about our survival and that of the future our children the future generation the call today is to think about grasslands as one of those vital ecosystem that we must protect and to think about the earth the environment that we live in as not just something that we are in need to plunder but something that we are called to protect because once we protect the environment we live in then that environment also aids our survival when we have healthier environment we have healthier people because that means clean air it means available clean water to drink it means healthy food and a healthy person is a happy person and a person who can contribute to this economy and this is a call bakari echoes we need to have more opportunities to remind ourselves that yes we are in a mess and if we continue this way then we are putting ourselves in more and more mess and in more danger and this means uh, we are compromising on our food security we are compromising on our health we must think about the future we must think about how are we going to sustain ourselves whether the ecosystem is going to hold long enough and of course most importantly the future generation what are we leaving for the future generation are we leaving the world in a way that yes they would still survive but all is not lost next episode we will still be in kinango but this time around we'll meet women young people who are coming together through the friends of kinago plateau through an initiative named ships for sharps long crowbirds initiative whereby you know they're encouraging more farmers to come together switch into ship keeping and buying this wool and spinning this into beautiful stuff you know the aim is to make sure that more people can switch into ship farming and we can have more land converted back into grasslands and The aim is to ensure that we have more land that is suitable for these birds and also over time to take this land back closer to the grassland that it used to be. But for now it would be awesome to hear what ecosystem you're working to protect and why. So please do email us info at Africa Climate Conversations or just drop us a comment on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as Africa Climate Conversations. But for now I will see you in two weeks time. Kwaheri for now. Bye. Is Africa Climate Conversations The podcast